Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. mentioned earlier, I'm grateful to Christopher for beginning the story of David last week, talking about his rise from shepherd to king. He's one of the great heroes of the Old Testament, King David in the line of Jesus that we'll get to as we speak next week to uh, his birth. Uh, But his rise to the throne was exciting. Kills lions and bears as he's a shepherd protecting sheep. He's the one who defeats Goliath and now becomes the new metaphor that people still use today for underdogs that defeat the champions. David's a warrior, a musician, a poet, a leader, beloved by the people of Israel. And he's patient. I mean, he's been anointed the king over Israel, and yet he waits uh, for the timing that God has for Saul to be done with his reign and doesn't take the chance to kill Saul when he has that opportunity. His story has been a story that's really up and to the right the whole way. I look back actually just before our passage this morning that we'll begin in, which is 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you have your story, copy of the story, feel free to open there. Or if you have your Bibles this morning, it's 2 Samuel chapter 11. But in the chapters leading up to this moment, we see that rise, that climb, everything going well. 2 Samuel chapter 7, David's palace is built. 2 Samuel chapter 8, there's a list of battles where David and Israel experience victory. Second Samuel chapter nine, David fulfills his promise to take care of Mephibosheth, one of Saul's uh, descendants that uh, is crippled and David welcomes him to his table. And then in second Samuel 10, more victories on the battlefield. But our favorite heroes are not interesting because their lives are a string of unending successes. Now the heroes that we want to emulate have conflict in their stories. Every great movie has this, this uh, flow to it, doesn't it? Of getting to know the protagonist of having to wander off and learn the lessons on your own, of conflict that's overcome in order to come back and in some way win on behalf of the good guys. David has his conflict, and that's what we come to this morning. And so this morning, my prayer, my hope is that this message would meet you where you're at, that some of you this morning would hear again for the first time a story maybe you've heard in the past, but maybe it hasn't connected and landed because of either the turmoil you're in or maybe the sin that you're in right now, or maybe it's the consequences of sin of others in your life that you continue to see the challenge of. And this story has a word to speak of hope, of that God can use us in the midst of the challenges we have. 
David had his challenges. He made his mistakes. And chapter 12 of the story tells us of those challenges and mistakes and the consequences that follow. This is actually one of those stories that you'll notice if you read maybe with your kids at home with their children's story Bible, that the story we read in our adult version is different than the children's Bible version story. We don't often talk about Bathsheba when it comes to the VBS story of David and his kingship. And yet it's part of how God reaches us with hope this morning. Let's pray as we open God's word together today. Father, I'm grateful for the fact that this Bible that you've handed on to us through the generations, these stories, that they still have a life of their own in 2020, that they speak so specifically to the challenges we still still face that shows its truth that lasts throughout the generations. So God, I pray this morning as we read this story that maybe some of us have known uh, and read so many times before that there would be new insight, that there would be a word of hope that is needed in this season, that there'd be a word of rebuke where it's needed and challenge, uh, but that we would encounter you and your Holy Spirit in a special way this morning through these words. I pray that you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, David, up to this point, had succeeded in all he'd done until 2 Samuel 11. And isn't that how it usually works in our lives? is we let our guard down when things are at their peak, when things are going just fine. And we find in 2 Samuel 11, that's exactly what David has done at the beginning of the story as well. uh, 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. You see the context for the story in the spring, when the, the time when the kings go off to war, where is David? David remained in Jerusalem. This was David's first mistake. David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And for some of you, as you think back, for some of us in this room and that are engaged online this morning, we can remember back to moments where we found ourselves in the same place, where consequences that are still affecting our lives began because we wound up in the wrong place at the wrong time. Listen to what happens as a result of this bad context in chapter two and, or verse two and following. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. See, David's first decision to be in the wrong place turns into a moment where lust takes over in his life and then eventually adultery. And then we come to find out there's an unplanned pregnancy on its way. And when you look into the details of the story, you realize the offense is even greater than on first reading. Because Uriah, this guy, was not just a stranger that was fighting in his army. That would be bad enough if David would sleep with the wife of one of his, his men on, who on the, on the battlefield. But Uriah was one of David's 37 mighty warriors that we read about later on in Scripture, which means he was part of the palace guard. He was part of the ones who went out and fought the battles with David on the battlefield. He knew Uriah. And that even makes this worse. So David comes up with a plan to cover up the pregnancy. 
He invites Uriah home from the battlefield and tells him to go home and be with his wife. His thought is, if I can get Uriah to go home, then maybe some things will happen and we can cover up the fact that this is actually David's child. But instead, Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with David's servants and didn't go down to his house. And when David hears uh, this of what took place, he says to Uriah, you've been gone a long time. Don't you want to see your wife? And this is Uriah's response in 2 Samuel 11, verse 11. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and and Judah are staying in tents and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Isn't it interesting what's happened in David's life? What used to be this man of integrity who wouldn't take the life of Saul because he knew God's timing would come. Well, now we realize that the integrity is not there in the moment it's needed. In fact, he's upstaged by a soldier who now has more integrity than he has. So what does David do? Does he finally have his conscience stricken and confess his sin? No, he contends and intends to cover it up. So David invites Uriah back over for dinner the next night and gets Uriah drunk. But the Bible doesn't put the blame on Uriah. The Bible says David made him drunk. See, Uriah has more integrity drunk than David has sober. Uriah refused to go home again. So what does David do? Does he finally realize, I've got to confess my sin? No, he continues to cover it up. David does what men with absolute power have done for centuries. He enlists his servants to participate in a cover-up so that it would not be found out. So David sends a letter to the battlefield to his commander, Joab, and he he actually gives this letter to Uriah to deliver and tells Joab, I want you to put Uriah on the front lines. When the battle comes, draw back and make sure that what needs to happen happens and it works. And listen to what it says in 2 Samuel 11, verse 26. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. David tries to cover up his sins, but in reality, his sins are covering up his own integrity the incredible man of God that he was. I mean, this isn't the same great man of God, it seems, that we learned about growing up. This doesn't seem to be the same poet who pins those great words of the Psalms uh, expressing his praise to the God of the universe. This is a man who's let power go to his head. He's allowed power to cover up his indiscretions. This is a man who has given too much power, who believes he can take take what he wants without consequence. And this was exactly what God had warned the people of Israel about all the way back in 1 Samuel 8. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke to this. They want a king to lead them. And God says, that king is going to take some things from you if you choose this. He's going to take your sons and your daughters and your taxes. And in 2 Samuel 11, we see the king doing just that. He is taking, or in this sense, he is sending. In fact, if you want to read back this week, I noticed a verb that shows up again and again in 2 Samuel chapter 11. David is doing a whole lot of sending in this chapter. He sends someone to find out who that woman is who is bathing. He sends someone to get her. He sends someone to take her home. He sends words to Joab to bring her husband in from the front lines. He sends Uriah home. He sends Uriah home again, drunk. 
He sends Joab a message after the battle telling him not to worry about the losses. And he sends for Bathsheba after her time of mourning. David is doing a whole lot of sending in this story, which is what power allows one to do. Not realizing that ascending was destroying the lives of those around him. And for nearly a year, David runs this scam to cover up his tracks. And it seems like it works. It seems like nobody knows and sees. But there is one who sees in this story. And I want you to pay close attention to how chapter 12 begins in 2 Samuel. Because there's a verb that shows up there that showed up several times in the chapter before. 2 Samuel 12, verse 1, the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now God is the one who is sending someone to David. And this is the role of the prophet. The role of the prophet is to take the words from God and deliver the truth to the king. The prophet is God's tool in order to keep the king from doing things he shouldn't because all too often kings gather around the people who will do their bidding and who will tell them what they want to hear. But the prophet Nathan's job is to tell the truth to King David. But how he delivers the truth is going to be very important. He can choose to cover up this truth and not deliver it to David, but that'll be all kinds of trouble and he'll be labeled a false prophet, just like all the others. He could bring this message directly to him and just charge in and say, here's what you've done, David. You know you've done it wrong, but he knows his life may be on the line if that happens. So he devises another way to bring this truth to David. He brings a story, a parable, much like the parable of his descendant that will come, Jesus, who tells over and over again this amazing story that catches David in the middle of it. Let's read it now in 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 and following. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep and cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who'd come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then David said, Nathan said to David, you are the man. The parable starts with conventional thinking, right? Here's a rich man who has everything in his resource and there's a poor man who has one little ewe lamb and the rich man takes the poor man and, and David's running this over in his mind as he has all the judgments that a king has to make and I'm sure he's imagining who in his kingdom might have done such a thing. He burns with anger for the injustice that has occurred and, and then in that moment, Nathan delivers the news. It's what you've done. You are that man. And in a moment, David realizes that all that he tried to cover up had been uncovered. But here's a turning point in the story that's important for us to hear. Some of us may feel a little guilty when we read these stories because maybe we've been guilty of similar things. But there's something about David that differs from King Saul in this story. And it makes all the difference. And it's important for us to recognize, especially if we find ourselves right now in the consequences of sin or maybe trying to cover it up still in our lives. Listen to what it says in 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, as this story finishes. Then David said to Nathan, 
I have sinned against the Lord. This is where David differs from his predecessor, Saul. When Saul was confronted with his sin, he found anything he could to try to deflect and and, and place blame elsewhere, not calling anything sin himself, not to repent of what he had done wrong. When Saul was confronted with his sin, he he hid from it. He, He didn't acknowledge it. But when David is confronted with his sin in the scene, he says, I've sinned against the Lord. And there will be forgiveness for David. His line will continue on the throne of Israel. But God's forgiveness doesn't mean that David won't have to deal with the earthly consequences that come because of his sin. This is a story of redemption, but it's not without difficult challenges that his family is going to face for generations. And this is how sin works. Sin hurts people. Sin affects relationships. It has effects. Sin sometimes gets passed down through generations. And we serve a God, praise God, who forgives the guilt of our sin. But we do not serve a God who removes the natural consequences of our sin from our lives. Some of us know exactly what I'm talking about because you've experienced this. You're walking through this right now. Maybe you're watching this as your kids are walking through this in this challenge. And for some of us, there's a distance that has actually grown between us and God because we thought the moment we asked forgiveness and found that repentance would end up in our our sins being covered over and forgiven, that all of a sudden then life had to go smoothly. God would set us back on course. And so there's a distance that grows because we feel like God hasn't kept his end of the bargain. But that's not how it worked for David. His up and to the right kind of life starts to go down and to the right. Chapter 12 A child is conceived between David and Bathsheba and that child dies. Chapter 13, there's an assault on his daughter. In chapter 15, Absalom, uh, his son, rebels and tries to take over the kingdom. In chapter 18, Absalom, his son, ends up dying. And then in chapter 20, another major rebellion takes place against David's kingdom. 2 Samuel 11 is the turning point in this story. Before this, everything had been good. And just like any good story, conflict comes for David and David responds differently than his predecessor. And this is what makes the difference between God who rejects Saul as king and how David is described, even in the midst of these sins, to be a man after God's own heart. And in fact, in the middle of our Bibles, there's this book called the Psalms. And many of you may have memorized these. We've seen these regularly on Sunday mornings still after so many years. And what I love about these Psalms is to look above the Psalms and see the description and how many of these were written by King David. Yes, King David who fought the battle against Goliath and yes, King David who ascended the throne and had been anointed, but also the same David who had broken six or seven of the 10 commandments in one year, right? The one that many would have said, well, just get rid of him like we got rid of Saul. But God sticks by David because there's something about David that owns his sin that asks forgiveness, that repents and wants to find healing and wants to transform future generations. And somehow God brings good out of this situation. Somehow Jesus is born in this line. And when we read next week, the story of Christmas and the genealogy, we find David's name. We find Uriah's name. We find the wife of Uriah. The story is there to remind us that God can still work through lineages and family trees like this. I want to read from Psalm 51, Uh, maybe a a familiar psalm to some of you as you hear some songs that we sing out of it. This was, people think, written uh, right after or soon after the adultery that had occurred between David and Bathsheba. 
when I think about some of the great songs that have been written throughout history, some of the great worship songs, I have to wonder about the lives of those who have written them. And I think about David and where he was. Just listen to these words and imagine them as David is dealing with the story that he's just heard from Nathan and his life unfolding afterward. Psalm 51, verse one, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Verse seven, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I wonder how many of us have prayed that prayer in situations like David. I have. In moments where I've broken God's commands, in moments I've broken trust, these have been the very words I've opened up to because I knew that if God heard David's heart and he was a man after his own heart, maybe this was a place I needed to go as well. And then there's Psalm 32. This was written probably after that moment, after he'd received forgiveness from his sins. This was actually the first sermon I ever preached was out of this passage, maybe because I connected with the words of forgiveness that God gives. Psalm 32, verse one, again, the words of David, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Verse 10, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you upright in heart. This story reveals so much about who the character of our God is. And let us not forget that in the midst of the lower stories we live in, where we wonder where God is, there's an upper story that God is writing that tells us of his character. And this story does just that. There are people to emulate in this story to emulate people like Uriah who maintain their integrity in the midst of situations that they're being called into and tempted into. Yes, Uriah is someone actually to emulate and to live like. The same is true for Nathan, right? Nathan is the one who is called on to to speak a hard word to a friend, to someone that was above him, that could have done away with his life. And he speaks the truth no matter the risk to his life because of what had happened. Yes, we're to be like Nathan and even David. I'm not suggesting that we go off and sin and experience sin in order to encounter the grace of God in this scene. I'm not uh, putting David up as a hero at all in what he did wrong. But when we find out we're wrong and we're confronted and we're convicted in our hearts, to respond in the same way David is, is our call. It's to confess our sin to the Lord and acknowledge what we've done, not to continue to cover it up. And then it's to cry out to God and just to keep our hearts drawn to him, even through the consequences that come in the days ahead. I just want to honor people 
who've had their lives blown up, who've been the faithful spouses in the midst of others who've blown them up and they stick together and they allow God to rewrite their story in powerful ways, who repent of their sin, who don't hide it anymore and somehow find relationship, find restoration. This is the God who writes these incredible stories that we have all around us that we forget to tell. This is what the story of David reminds me of is none of us are discounted from being used by God. There's nothing we've done that can discount us from God using us in his grand story for the good of generations to come. We have no idea how our faithfulness will be told of in future generations. But I wanna encourage you to be the kind of people like David who don't cover up your sin, but admit your sin and walk into whatever healing can happen in the midst of those challenging consequences. I hope and pray this story leaves you with hope that allows you to see that the God of the universe does not uh, discount us, does not write us out of the story when we make mistakes, but it's actually in those very moments, if our hearts are soft and drawn to him, that God can bring beautiful music that people will sing for generations and can continue to tell a story that Jesus will come out of. Let's pray this morning as we close our time in the word. God, I thank you so much for the story of David for the ways that it reminds us of who you are and that you don't give up on us no matter what we have done wrong. God, all of us in this room can confess sin this morning, sins that we've confessed before that we wonder have been forgiven and sins that we haven't yet confessed that maybe we're still trying to cover up in this moment. But God, I wanna, I wanna just affirm who you are, that you are the God who wants us to live an abundant life that draws us away from sin that destroys to the abundant life that gives life to those beyond us. God, I thank you for the stories of faithfulness in our own day, that you were somehow using the conflict to be the very ministry they minister to others through. And I pray you would expand that ministry a hundredfold for those who are finding life in your name and staying close to you in the midst of challenging circumstances. For those who've been mistreated by people in power, and this story evokes those memories, God, I pray that their names would be told and their stories told of their faithfulness in the midst of the injustices they face. God, I pray this morning for your forgiveness again for all of us because none of us are perfect. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God, you promise forgiveness to those who confess our sins, who bring it into the light. And so we confess again this morning that we are imperfect. We have done things that have harmed others. But God, we don't wanna walk out of this room without your forgiveness, without walking closely with you in the days ahead. And so God, I pray that you would do just that, that you would walk with us as we seek to be people of faithfulness, that the next generation will get to tell their stories of your faithfulness again through. I pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people who agreed said, amen. Be standing now as we close our time this morning. Again, we're grateful that you were here. We're grateful that we've had a chance to to worship together this morning. And for those of you online, we long for the day when things will be more normal that all of us can be together in this room. But for now, I wanna bless you in this way. May you, my brothers and sisters, generously share the abundance that is yours in Christ Jesus. Go in peace today. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Instagram. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.